0: I've been around for quite some time. I've seen a lot of things. Some even refer to me as the one who is ancient of days. I was there when the Father created mankind. It is my words that hold everything together. And when man made the decision to figure out things on their own, it was my heart that broke. To the point that I felt an incredible need to take on the burden that they would have to carry. Man often focuses on attaining power and accomplishing great feats, possessing power and money. When I came, I stepped into the world as a baby, and from the moment I entered the world, my mission was mankind. It wasn't to judge mankind, but to redeem them. There's nothing on this planet that I love more. My pursuit was the soul of man, the souls of those who were hurting, the souls of those who were in bondage to evil, the souls of those who were being tormented by the evil that had been unleashed on this planet. This is still my pursuit. Now as I look back, I can see that there were moments when I looked at the cross and fully realized the burden that I would have to carry. But it was the joy of redeeming and saving people that compelled me through the cross. Knowing I would be saving mankind was ultimately what pushed me through the plan to sacrifice myself, to lay down my own life so that other people could be redeemed. Many humans believe the lie of the devil that says that God focuses on your sin. When in reality, my father only focuses on them, who they are, God loves them, and I love them. I purchased all of the evil, all of the failures, all of the mistakes they've ever made in order for them to be given my life, for them to take on my identity, an identity of perfection. When I walked this planet, my pursuit was to live a life that I could give them that would be perfect, a life full of love, a life full of peace, A life full of joy, hope, and a future. When I came to this planet, I came for people. That was my pursuit. That's still my pursuit. And until the end of days is complete, my pursuit will always be people.
1: Um, How many are glad they came to first week last week? Yeah. Sorry if you missed it. Um, it, it was pretty full every night, but I'll tell you, yesterday morning uh, was probably the best of all of them. It was probably the best service I've ever been in in Minnesota uh, since coming here 13 years ago. Uh, uh, Krista Smith really brought a word that transformed lives, and, um, and if you missed it, I'm sorry, but you really, I, you may have underestimated Krista when she came. We tried to tell you she's even better than her husband. She was way better. She's in another level better. But um, so uh, some of them you can get online. You will not experience what you experienced when you were in the place online. Um, but you'll you'll see some of what happened. It was an incredible week. And encourage you to be a part of first week in the future. Every year we really pray and ask the Lord to lead us and how we put that together, and it, it certainly was the best one of, of all. Um, there are three theme passages I'm going to look at in this this uh, year and throughout this year, and I want you to turn to them, and and, I, and I'm going to leave it to your campus pastor to put these down and have them either laminated so you can put on your refrigerator or on your mirror in your bathroom or somewhere where you'll see it every a single day here are the three verses first timothy is the first one it's found in first timothy 6:11 through 12 it says but you Timothy man of God run for your life from all of this all this pursue a righteous life a life of wonder a life of faith a life of love a life of steadiness a life of courtesy run hard and fast in faith seize the eternal life the life you are called to The life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses that God has called us to run a a race and and all of this. And um, he's called us to run a race. I think many of us have experienced neutered Christianity, neutered of the signs, wonders, and miracles that God says he's going to do for those who are believers. And so they live life thinking it's just a boring life. That's why we don't go to prayer meetings, which prayer meeting starts on Wednesday night. We know you'll be there because uh, you're part of Bethel's Rock and you know we're going to take this city for Jesus and to do that we need to pray about it. And so on Wednesday nights we're going to be doing that. Here's the second verse, Colossians 3, 1 through 2. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that part. Act like it if you're serious about it. Pursue the things over which Christ presa- presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what are going on, what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. A lot of people looking from earth up rather than heaven down, saying this is where the action is. And then First Peter 4, 1 through 2 says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. <laughs> that's That's funny. Anybody in here always expecting to get your own way? You know how many times I've heard people say, I tried God, but he didn't answer my prayers. He didn't get, I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted it this way and this way. And I didn't get it, so I'm not following because I didn't get my own. And he calls it an old sinful habit of that thinking. He says, then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Because what God wants in your life is going to be fulfilled because God pays for what he orders. He doesn't pay for what you order. He doesn't pay for what you order. He's not coming to pay your bill because he ain't going to pay something that's going to destroy you. He came to give life and life abundantly. And a lot of the things we want destroy us. And if we get what we want, it destroys us. And then we blame God for doing it, even though it's what we wanted him to do. Right? So, What I want to talk about today, and I'm going to talk in this series about our pursuits, but today I want to talk about what's pursuing us, what's pursuing us, and I'm going to look at two different passages, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, I'm going to talk to you about what's pursuing you right now, that there is something pursuing you, and maybe you're in this room and your past is pursuing you. You have done things that either you've been caught up in or got caught in, and you live under the guilt and shame of the past, of what you're doing. The enemy constantly tells you why you're not worried. Or maybe there are things you participated in that you have never been caught in, but the fear of that past is still haunting you and runs after you because of things you've done. And you're sitting here thinking, I can't really pursue God because I have this past. And it's pursuing you. And how many know a past can torment you, right? It can torment you. And God said, I've redeemed you of the past. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And let me tell you, when God's ready to deal with the past, he'll deal with it on his terms. It won't be on anyone else's terms. It will not be on the devil's terms because you're, you belong to God. And God, if you're going to be in anybody's hands of mercy and love, you want to be in God's hands of mercy and love because he works everything for good, everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven, right? So don't let your past terrorize you. Satan is pursuing you. You know, the Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, there are angels that are literally focused on you, angels of darkness, demons, focused on you. But you know what I love? Where there's a third of the angels that are focused on destroying the church, two-thirds of them are focused on defeating the angels and blessing the church. Right Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That there is resurrection power in me. Maybe there's addictions chasing you. You know, porn addictions, chemical addictions, uh, temper addictions, you know, all kinds of addictions that have been chasing you, and uh, that can be difficult, right? And then social media is ch- chasing you. Read the documentary on social media. It says that, that they're selling you. You're the product they're selling. And, and I would say there's some people you just need to get off social media. And, and, I, and I hope and pray that God will help you to do that. Because when you're addicted to it, like literally, I, I said this in our podcast on Thursday. I, I think it was in the podcast where you go to a, you know, you go to a doctor's office. It's an interesting thing. You go to a doctor's office and say, be here at this time, and they've created a room to make you wait, right? I mean, the, you got to go expecting to wait because we got a waiting room, so you're going to sit down and wait, but you got to be here on time, and you're going to pay us obscene amounts of money, but we're going to make you wait in our waiting room, Right? That's insane to me. If I'm gonna pay you that much money when I walk in the door, I don't wanna sit in the room. I wanna be, I want somebody to see me. <laughs> I, I got I don't, no axe to grind. <laughs> Why did I bring it up? You go into the waiting room, you go in the waiting room, and it used to be before you had phones, you'd sit in the waiting room and wait. Now we go to the phone. And we're going through the phone. We we don't literally give God any time to talk to us. I think there were times that God used the doctor's office to turn the waiting room into an altar, to where you could actually hear the voice of God and listen. We don't do that anymore because our altar is the cell phone, and we're going to see what everyone else and we shut out God like God's been boxed out of our life because there are no waiting moments in our life to hear from the Lord. And we're being chased by social media. If you're not on your phone, they send you notifications to get you on your phone. They know what you're doing, right? So you're being chased by that. And then there are people, we all love to be pursued. We want to be pursued. There are good things we want to be pursued by, and then there are bad things we don't, people we don't want to be pursued by, right? Like you're debt collectors, you don't want to be pursued by a debt collector, right? You don't want to be pursued by people who have road rage. You don't want to be pursued by certain. But for most people, you want to be pursued like like when a girl, a young woman, she dreams of being locked up in a tower and and guarded by this dragon and this man who's very good looking and built like a don. You know, he's just very strong, rides his horse in, and 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 then the hair is out the window, and and he and then he slays the dragon and climbs the tower and he rescues the woman and goes, puts her down, and she's oh right. And then there's the guy that wants to be seen like I'm the one, and he hears his wife talk about how great he is and how amazing he is, right? Uh, Guys? (laughs) Right? Right, guys? (laughs) You know, there's this movie that I loved uh, when Heather and I would have been dating at this time. And uh, in fact, I had the soundtrack on my alarm clock for probably 12 years. Uh, this is a great sound. It's known for the soundtrack. But it's uh, The Last of the Mohicans. How many have seen the movie The Last of the Mohicans? And this is a picture of Hawkeye and Cora. And Hawkeye has is, is, uh, been chased by the British Army, and he's holding Cora and, uh, because he, he came up against the British Army. And, and so they're hiding behind this waterfall, And they're holding each other, hiding from the British Army, hoping they don't come. But they've reached a dead end. And you can see him. She's holding. He's like, he's got her. And she's just like, oh, I feel pretty. And, and, and... uh, and, and then through the water, they see the light of the soldiers of the British Army coming through the water. They can see the light flashing through it as they're talking. And, and Hawkeye knows that if they get there, they're going to kill him, and that would break Cora's heart. And so he knows what's got to happen, and Cora's hoping, you know, he'll figure it out. He always does. And, and, uh, and he looks at her, and he grabs her. And he says these famous words that, 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 you know, rings throughout history. Here it is. Stay alive! You hear me? You survive and stay alive! I will find you! No matter how long it takes, no matter how far I go, I will find you! And then he turns, Effie hugs her, and he runs into the wall of water and falls through the wall of water and all the girls went oh why don't you do that for me still cuz no one's trying to kill him praise the lord right stay alive but i will find you no how no matter how far i have to go i'm going to find you just stay alive you know there is a Another story of a, a man, a dad, who lost his three-year-old daughter in China in a fruit, fruit stand area, fruit market, and uh, the big a crowd came in and separated the two, and he had lost his daughter. For 24 years, he looked for his daughter, couldn't find, him, find her. And he was so compelled to find her that he quit his job and became a taxi cab driver. And so that he could meet more people, and he would hand out cards to every single person he met with a picture of his three-year-old daughter, and said, "This is when I lost her, and this is when she was at." And around his cab, he would put pictures all around his cab. At one point, I think he'd even had a speaker where he would just say her name and say, "I've lost my daughter," blah, and drive around. Just he, that would became his life pursuit was finding his daughter, and um, and then one day, this woman came to him and said. Uh, In fact, he made 17,000 contacts, they estimated. And one day, uh, this girl came to him and said, I think I'm your daughter. Ended up being his daughter. She happened to see one of the cards that was handed out, and it found her. You see, she wasn't seeking for her father, but his father was seeking for her. So when she saw it, she found because he was seeking she found a seeking father. there's another one. I don't have the picture for it unfortunately, I couldn't find it, but it was a it was a tragic event that happened to a poor woman and I had a picture of this lady hugging her cat, diego uh, she She fortunately lost her cat and then the next picture had her looking pretty upset. She was crying a lot when she was holding her cat and found her and you know, she's pretty broken up that the cat found her and found his way home. But <laughs> I don't like cats. You know, I, 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 I do believe they're demon-possessed, but that's, that's not theology. That's, that's not the. I'm a dog guy, so. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I get it. I hear you. They're not demon-possessed, at least not all of them. Not your cat. Here, here's the thing. The, what I really want to get down to, and we we'll would take it down, is God's pursuing you. And where this China father, this guy from China, was, not an imp- was an imperfect father, and he pursued his child with everything he had, God has pursued with all of heaven. People. No matter their past, no matter their addictions, no matter what they've been through, God is pursuing you, and he's pursuing you with a whole lot of things. He pursues you with love. He pursues you with grace. He pursues you with goodness and mercy. I love this part in Psalms 23, 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Goodness, mercy, goodness, mercy is following you all the days of your life. If you woke up believing that every single day, goodness and mercy are going to follow me every day, how many know it would be a lot better day? You'd have a lot more exciting day, but that's the word of God. And see, life is chasing you. And there's this song we sing called Reckless Love. And I've heard many people say, well, this is just the theology of that song's messed up. And, and, and I don't have a problem. There's a lot of songs that have been sung that have bad theology. And, and, and you don't know this, but there have been times where I've told our worship pastors, we will never sing that song again at Bethel's Rock. Because it gives glory to what Satan's doing and not what God's doing. But why? I mean, on this song, well, reckless. God is never reckless. Come on. (laughs) Are you kidding me? After today, if you make that statement, I'll be surprised. To the human eye, the way God loves you and I and pursues us seems reckless. It seems reckless. And insane. And I'm going to show you in the Word, as we get into the Word today, I want to show you this, this, this kind of reckless love that God has for us. But in order to understand it, you know, for 90 years, the British monarch has had a speech on Christmas. For 70 of those 90 years, Queen Elizabeth has given that speech. And that speech has always surrounded her faith in Jesus Christ and her belief that she has eternal life through Christ, and that alone. And she would use the opportunity to influence people by giving the gospel message on Christmas Day. For the first time, she didn't give that that speech this year. King Charles gave that speech. Except King Charles didn't give the same kind of speech she did. He gave a more political speech that appealed to the inherent good in humanity. The inherent good. When Jesus himself in Mark 10 says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God is alone. See, there's this mindset that man is good, that there's something good in all of man, and that's the lie. Every one of us were born with an inherent evil desire. We were inherently evil. There is no goodness. If you think that you're getting into heaven because you did good or you're a good person, you have been deceived as King Charles has been deceived because the King of Kings said every person is born evil, inherently evil. That's why Jesus came, was to give life was to transform us from that inherent desire of evil to become the people of God that he wanted us to be when he created us. Jesus offers us a picture of God of who's pursuing us. Salvation. Salvation is about being pursued by Jesus, being found by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, and freed by Jesus. Listen to me. That's what this is. It is an experience and a relationship through a process. We experience the, the presence of an uh, uh, this incredible God. And then we experience this relationship and we walk through the process of how it transforms us. But too many people are coming in saying, I, I I'm good. I'm good now, I'm good now, I got saved, that's it. And the pursuit ends. You can never really pursue God the way he's calling us to pursue him until you realize he's already pursuing you. Until we know how radically loved and valued we are, we will struggle in our relationship with God. So I'm going to take you to two two stories. First, I'm going to start with the relentless pursuit of Christ found in the New Testament. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10 it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there with the name of Zach, Zacchaeus, right? You all know the, nurse, the, the kind of nursery you Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was. He climbed up in a, for Jesus he wanted to. And Jesus came along and Zacchaeus. On to your house for tea. <laughs> they had to come up with a word that rhymed with sea and Tree and right. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, which tells you he was hated, because how many people love paying taxes? Right? I, I don't think the tax collectors were ever any in any threat of getting a Christmas card or a Christmas bonus right? Nobody wants to pay taxes, our fair share. Nobody, everybody's okay with everybody paying their fair share as long as it's not me paying it. We wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, which would have been a very dense, foliaged tree. He could climb this sycamore tree and hide, He could seek. And if you're somebody in this room and you've been trying to hide your pursuit of God, you didn't want anyone, God sees your search engine. He knows that you may be put in is God real? Who is God? What does he want? God knows it. God's coming after you because he's seen that there's an open door in you and he's going to reveal himself to you because you started seeking after him. It goes on, he says, so he ran ahead and climbed this tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, it just so happened that Jesus walked by and reached that spot and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And I think in that moment, the people said, all right, Jesus is going to like take him out. It's going to make him pay for all the money he's stolen from us because he kept money for himself above what he needed to charge for taxes. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, this is incredible. Uh, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because the man, this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, who are we talking about? Jesus came to what? Seek and to, seek and to save the lost. That's what he came for, to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. To leave the 99, to seek and to save the lost. The lost. If you want to have a relationship with Christ, the greatest way to have intimacy and relationship in him, with him is to go hunting for the lost with him. We're trying to get God to stay in the church and leave the lost to hell. When God is saying, I'm going out here, if you want to stay back there, you're fine. You stay back there, but you will never experience the intimacy and the adventure with me that I'm going to have when I go out there to seek the people no one's looking for. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's his call. That's what he's called all of us to do is to seek and to save the lost. Friend, we're about the Lord's business when we're doing what he's pursuing. Seek and to save the lost. Seek and save. Look at what Kyle Eidelman said in his book, God's at War. He says this, if someone ever asks you what's so special about Christianity, what sets it apart from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and anything else? Your answer is found in the statement that God came to seek and to save the lost. Nowhere else and in no religion do we see God in a hot, and, <laughs> and let me say this again, nowhere else and in no religion do we see God in hot pursuit of people. When I read that originally, the first thing I went was, <laughs> I'm in hot pursuit. If you knew the Dukes of Hazard, you know what I talk about. <laughs> Roscoe, Pico, yeah. Uh, hot pursuit. Okay, this is a God that gives us the freedom to say no, but insists on giving us every possible reason and chance to say yes. And I love this description that Kyle gives to God. He is called the Hound of Heaven because he never gets off the trail. Zacchaeus was not liked by the the community, and yet. He wanted to find Jesus, that you could call him the secret seeker. He wanted to find Jesus in some way, and Jesus came to find him. you say, well, wasn't it Zacchaeus that was seeking for God? Zacchaeus was only seeking for God because Jesus, God, had come through Jesus to find him. He wouldn't have went up into that tree. He would never have sought after him. But for the fact that God came to him... God was seeking him. He merely found the one seeking his own life. And God is seeking after you right now in this place. He's seeking for your heart, the deep, the love of your heart. And Zacchaeus was caught up in trying to have money and get into the good graces of the Roman Empire. He wanted position. He wanted all of this attention. And he thought in that it would make him successful, that that would be the meaning of life. And, And he got there, and it felt empty, like empty calories, like no life was found and no nutrition. There was nothing there. And he, and he heard about this Jesus, and he came to this Jesus, and he found Jesus, and it changed everything in his life. You know you know those questions that God, like, like questions people give you, and then you ask it for them to give you the answer. Like God, often when I'm reading the word, he puts a question in my heart that I ask him with the question, because sometimes we don't know the questions asked, so he gives us the question asked so that he can answer the question. how many have had that happen, right? So, so it'd be like, here's an example. It'd be like me saying, here's a question. How can I be involved in children's ministry? Okay, and now, are, are you asking me that question? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> and, and this is a perfect example of what God deals with. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask that question because I don't want the answer. <laughs> right? But there's a question long before I even knew I was preaching this this story, true story, for this reveal. The Lord had this story had just peeked in my heart, and a question was there, and there was a part of it was Zacchaeus, like he just went into the house of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus came out. And this was my question, Lord, what did you say that would cause Zacchaeus to make such a radical transformation that he would come back and pay back what he had done, and if he cheated him, went four times? And you're all like, well, what did God tell you, right? No, you figure it out. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Here's what he said. Here, here's, what, here's what, he, it, and I wasn't getting an answer from the Lord until this message. And, and here was the question the Lord answered that question is. He said, what makes you think I said anything about what he had done? And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense until it did. Because I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, Lord, if you didn't say anything, then how do they know to change? And then, and it was like, why do you think there has to be words? When my presence is enough, like this world says you gotta teach them out of it, you gotta have words to convey them out of it. But there's something about being in the presence of the Creator God, the Redeeming God, that when He comes, He transforms the heart of man and the desires within that heart are transformed and what you once wanted You no longer want and words couldn't get you to change It wasn't an aspect of your thinking that transformed you. It was the aspect of God's power see Freedom isn't thinking different because you got a new education. Freedom is when your heart is changed and your desires change. And what you once wanted to do, you no longer. See, we think that in the churches, God, give me the ability to resist the temptations by by telling me what to do so I can just. And then this all becomes a fight when God says, I want to change the desires of your heart. And then it's just, I don't want to anymore. That's transformation. I don't have a desire anymore anymore. I don't even want to do that anymore. That's a waste of time. I see it for what it is. I no longer have a desire for that. Thank you, God. I don't even fight the temptation of that anymore because I see the destruction of it. And when Zacchaeus was met with an encounter of Jesus Christ, that is why being in the presence of God with other people is so important. Because just being there, God was encountering things yesterday. When you were there this last week, when you were there, God was encountering attitudes of the heart by just being in the presence of God. He says, when you come into my presence, whether it's in your prayer room or in a service or in this room right now, and your eyes are open, I'm going to change you right here. You say, well, what do I got to do? Be there. If Zacchaeus had said, I don't want you in my house, I got too much shame and guilt. I don't want you to come in because you may, you may judge me. And if you knew who I really was, you may. No, Zacchaeus recognized there was something about this I need. I don't care what he thinks about my house. I don't care about what I did. I don't care about any of this stuff. I just want to have an encounter with God. I want him to change my life like he did Zacchaeus, to take him from pursuing things that will pass away to things that will last forever. And there's a lot of pursuits in our life for things that will not make eternity. The only thing that will make eternity is people. Here's the second one, the relentless pursuit of Hosea. It's a radical story, radical story in the Old Testament. You don't hear a whole lot about it because we don't want you thinking as preachers, God's calling you to do missionary dating. (laughs) But this story, prophet, Hosea was a prophet. His name means salvation. Hosea means salvation. And uh, God asked Hosea to do something. He'd asked all of his prophets. You read about some of the stuff in the Bible. I mean, he asked Ezekiel to lay on his side for hundreds of days and cook his food over human feces. And he said, please, Lord, not human. So they gave him cow dung instead, right? Some of you are like, really? That's in the Bible? Read it. It's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible, (laughs) right? And uh, Hosea was asked to do something that was incredibly crazy, and would seem reckless by any, any person. I know their worship team's getting ready to do that. Try to not focus on that. We'll work on getting the worship team off to the side. Hosea, the Lord comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, boy, do I got a plan for you. Yes, Lord, what is it? He goes, I'm going to have you do something that's going to communicate my heart to the people. Yes, Lord, I will do that. Anything, Lord. You tell me to do it. And he goes, I'm going to have you marry a prostitute. And I'm going to tell you, oh, Lord, you're going to redeem this prostitute. Oh, no, she's going to be even more unfaithful to you than she was before you marry her. She's going to be a promiscuous. She's going to have all kinds of lovers. You're going to go to, can you just see that wedding day? Hosea, I give you my life. I'll be true to you. I'll be faithful to you all my life. And there she is. I'm going to cheat on you as much as I can. I do. (laughs) And here is Hosea with this promiscuous woman who for some reason agrees to become his wife. And sure enough, she goes out and has multiple affairs with all of these lovers. And Hosea is called by God to love her regardless of what she does. Now I had a revelation in this story I had never seen before. And it's going to make you understand why God's reckless love seems reckless in a moment. This revelation, you're going to see this in a moment. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go through this story because God's calling him. It, what I want you to see is Hosea is God, represents God in this, in this whole book. He represents God's heart. And, and the woman in this story the, the pro, represents Israel it can even represent the church today hosea's assignment is to love a woman this woman and um, if you go to the book of hosea in verse chapter one verse two here here's this crazy assignment when the lord began to speak through hosea the lord said to him go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her for like a, an adulterous wife this land is guilty of an unfaithfulness to the lord and it's interesting she he's she's having children but they don't even know, Jose doesn't even know if they're his. Because there's no DNA testing. She's with so many lovers. She does, he, these are kids. He doesn't even know if he's the father of these children. And look what it says. So he married Gomer. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you're on some dating site. You come to this name Gomer, and I mean you're like, forget that. I mean, <laughs> I didn't marry no Gomer, right? <laughs> What a name! I don't know who thought that was a good name to give their child. Um, But her name is Gomer, right? And she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I soon punished the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Now, what's interesting, this would be in comparison to a German parent naming their kid Dachau. It was so, there was an abomination that happened in Israel that was there. It was one of those things you try to forget or, or a Chinese father saying, we're going to name our child TM, T-M-N-Square. I mean, that's, that's the equivalent of what they were doing. And he named his child this. God allowed them to experience the consequences of their action. You know, you know it's interesting. God allowed them... He never punished them for what they did in that moment. They were never punished. They never suffered the consequences for that. And when you don't experience the consequences of something, it's funny how you start to think it's okay and you can get away and it's not going to, nothing's going to happen because of it. Right? Ecclesiastes eight eleven says, because the sentence against evil deeds is so long in coming, people in general think they can get away with murder. goes on in verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and then the Lord said to Hosea, call him lo Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. And then in verse 9, it said the Lord, because what he's saying is, I'm not going to have compassion or pity on him. Nope, that, that's literally where we're at. Then the Lord said, call him lo which means not my people, for your, you are not my people, and I'm not your God, which is the one reason why God created. Do you know why you were created? So he could be your God and we would be his people. Simple. That's why. He wanted to be our God and we would be his people, called by his name. Which means, lo, means amigo or friend, no friend at all. You have no friend, there's no pity, and you guys have done something so abhorrent, an abomination before me and the world. Because Israel was meant to be this witness to the world That when God is your God And, and you are my people There's a blessing, there's favor, there's light there's, No one can defeat you And they had abandoned God And went to the gods Because they had intermarried with the Canaanite gods And especially with the God of Baal And I won't even tell you About that kind of worship It's that abhorring So God has this vision for them And this is the incredible thing. God's chasing them. They're in this broken... Israel is basically having affairs with all of these other suitors, gods. And God says this to them in chapter 2, or at the end of chapter 1. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or accounted. You know what's amazing about that? God says, you know, I'm done with you, essentially. I'm done with you. But then he says... But then every time I think that, I recall the promise to Abraham. And because of my promise to Abraham, the sands of the seashore, you know where that comes from? It comes from the promise made to him. He says, every time I recall that, I realize that my love will endure with you. And it will endure with you. And it will endure with you even through all of that. And he goes on in chapter 2. It says, say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one rebuke your mother rebuke her for she is not my pe- wife and i'm not her husband let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts what she's saying is what what god is saying listen you you haven't been my spouse just as gomer was out running around with her lovers you've been out running around and you're not my people and i've not been your god now, I'm going to be faithful to Abraham's promise, but you have abandoned me even though I pursued you. And, and he says, I want you to return. And you see it in the next verse. He says, I want you to come back, but you haven't been. Make no mistake about it. Even in the church today, there are all kinds of people who go to church today, but they are not operating in salvation. They think they're saved because they behave like Christians, but they have no salvation because they haven't invited Christ to live in them They have been neutered of everything that is life giving because, because life isn't living in them It goes on in verse 5 She said I will go after my lovers Who give me food and my water and my wool And my linen my olive oil and my drink Gomer, She said well why do you tell the kids That I'm not their mother That I'm acting horrible Why do you tell them Look at, look at Hosea look I, I go out with all these lovers I got the good life All my needs are being met. I'm experiencing life. Good things are happening to me. I'm enjoying the acceptance of all of these lovers. You know, we need to be more open to all these things. We need to be more accepting, and you're so restrictive. Look at all the blessing that I'm going through. See everything that I'm going through, and see all the good that I'm getting, the pleasure that I have. See everything that I'm getting, and sometimes it can feel like that. Goes on, and, and Hosea says... She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain. She said, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes, in verse 6. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. That's what God says. I'm going to stop the blessing in her life so she comes back to me. But then it goes to the eight. She, this is the revelation I'd never seen before, and I saw when I was writing this message. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Here, here here's what it is essentially saying They say, I do. She goes out and has all of these lovers. She gets pregnant. She gives birth to the first, gives birth to the second, gives birth to the third. Hosea takes care of the children. She goes out with her lovers and she's running with her lovers. And she's being blessed. She's eating. She's enjoying. She's got all this pleasure. She comes home when she wants to. She does what she wants when she wants. It's her way. Right? And then all of a sudden, the door shuts. And there's nothing there, nothing at all. And she realizes, I can't find a lover, I can't find, so I'm going to go back to what I think is second best. And she goes back home to Hosea, and Hosea tells her, You know, you know what? Do you know what, Gomer? Remember when you were out with all those lovers? You remember that? And all of the blessing that you were experiencing? This is the awesome pursuit of your God. I went to your lovers, and I gave them the gold and silver, and I gave them the grain and oil. I gave them everything. I went up, and I says, are you the one that's been spending the nights with with my wife, with Gomer? Yeah. You know she's my wife? Yeah. I'm not here to punch you in the face. I'm here to give her... This is for her. I want her to be blessed. I love her, and I want her to be blessed here. Even in her running from Hosea, he loves her. He provides for her in the midst of that. He goes, even when you go to the bottom of the barrel, when you were the worst of the worst, when you were, when you were attacking God, when you were, you were calling out God, when you said he didn't exist, when you were even blaspheming God, and you were saying those things, God still blessed you. It wasn't the devil. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God so even in your lostness even in your running from god when something good and perfect came to you it was from god because his intense love pursues you not just to the bottom of the barrel but if you pick up the barrel underneath it he'll go to the low to the low to get you there's something about that kind of love that should move us out of our seats and say, Thank you, God. I want to worship you and you alone. Because nobody loves me like that. No one's pursuing like that. There's no Hawkeye jumping through fa- waterfalls like that. God will jump through whatever hoop He's got to run to to get to you. He'll leave the 99, which he loves with all of his heart, to get to that one, because he loves you. God is chasing at you, and you said, well, how can he love me after what I've done, some of the things I've said, some of the places I've been? God has been pursuing you even before then till now, and he'll never stop pursuing you until you take your last breath. Will you stand? God's asking that you open your heart to that. Would you just close your eyes for a moment, just for a moment? Father, right now, I pray, let them taste and see the pursuit of your spirit after them right now, that wherever they're at, and this, this, the, even those that are in this room that have been deceived to think, I'm good, I, I'm good, I don't need it, I, I'm not going to get, I don't want to be radical about Jesus. I don't want to get, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in this uh, fanatic Stage, which I'm okay with being fanatical about sporting teams and and people on the planet, but I don't know about this fanaticalness with Jesus, even though he's the one that's pursuing you harder than anything else in this world. We can get fanatical about a football team that will never give you a ring when they win, when Jesus gives you a ring after you miserably fail, and you come back to him and he puts a ring on your finger. There's no championship, no victory like the victory in Jesus. And right now, there's some in this room saying, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming back. Just like Zacchaeus discovered. I'm going to discover that right now. If that's you, raise your hand and say, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up. Say, I'm coming home. I'm coming home right now. And I want to encourage you to just do that right now as a pursuit to him. Just say, God, I'm coming home.